and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about finding your niche and exploiting it and doing things your own way. When you're an entrepreneur, everybody tells us about finding a niche and finding a customer, but that doesn't mean that you can't be inventive with what you do. And I think that my guest today did just that with her line. I'm pleased to welcome Amber Makeupson. You would think she'd have a makeup line, but she doesn't. (laughs) Amber is the founder of Meraki, a hair care line, which I'm going to have her tell us a little bit more about that as we go along. Welcome, Amber. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. Great. Can you give us your 30-second bio or a brief bio? Of course. You said Amber Makeupson, the founder and creator of Meraki. Meraki is a botanical hair care line, and our products are all infused with gemstones. Just a brief backing, I have a background in marketing, and I also have a background in aesthetics. So um, kind of like meshed the two together and created something that I'm really passionate about. And so the word Meraki means to do something with love, soul, and creativity, and to put the essence of yourself into your work. So I was actually at a point in my life where I just wasn't in alignment with my career and things really were not serving me. And so Meraki was birthed. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? I definitely feel like the beauty industry is a destination for me. They say hard work and dedication align with your skills. And I think that that's definitely where I am right now. Just being able to bring clean products to the market that are evolved and high performing. I definitely feel like I'm in line with my purpose. That's fantastic. How did you get your start? What was the first job? And how did you go about getting it? My first job was actually at a place called Mark's, which was like a local grocer in my neighborhood in Ohio. And so I remember being 14. I just really wanted to work. I've always been really independent and wanted to make my own money. And so My dad agreed and my aunt took me to get my worker's permit and I went and filled my application out and I got the job. And what do you think you learned there that has stayed with you? I would say my customer service skills. And then, of course, it was retail. So being organized and keeping the store neat are also skills that I use even until today with my business. You mentioned that you have a background in aesthetics. How did you land there? When I was pregnant with my daughter, I had a lot of shifts, but not only shifts, When I was pregnant with her and then up until she was about three and a half, I was able to stay at home with her. So during that time, I was able to kind of really get in touch with myself and really praying and meditating on what my life purpose is. So during that time, I decided, you know, to go to school for aesthetics. And I knew that skincare was always a passion. And so the lane, even while I was in school, was to start my own skincare line. It was never just to do 
facials because unfortunately, you know, I was kind of accustomed to a different lifestyle and that way you have to build your business. It just really wasn't in alignment with my needs, but I knew that that was the direction I wanted to take would be a skincare line. Now you said you also worked in marketing. Did you work in marketing prior to having your daughter? I did. I did. I worked in marketing prior and then also after. So what I did was after she was about three and a half, I decided to get back into the job market and then do um, botanical treatments on the weekends and sometimes like after hours. So it wasn't a full-time gig for me. Like I said, I was accustomed to a different lifestyle and I've always been really independent. So kind of building that business, just I wasn't able to support my lifestyle and my daughter with that at the beginning. So I just did both. I understand. So what kind of marketing did you do? I actually did corporate marketing for um, software companies, and I actually still do that to this day. So I'm doing both currently. I am in the process of transitioning, but I haven't transitioned yet. So right now it's been software. Um, I was doing internet software. So like SEO, SEM, or websites and just marketing for businesses online. When the huge internet boom hit, I was kind of at the forefront of that for businesses. You make a valid point. Like entrepreneurs know that you need another source of income a lot of times. It's not like you see in the movies, folks. You don't start a business on a napkin or in your garage and suddenly you have millions of dollars. Exactly. Many entrepreneurs are realistic about their situations and decide, I want this business, but I also want to have an income. So until the business is fully established, up and running, they often work and they do their passion as their second full-time job. I agree. And I think that the way that social media is structured nowadays, they kind of paint this picture to where having a job is a bad thing. And to me, even if it's not a job, but I think we need to normalize having multiple streams of income. I mean, even Meraki, when it gets to be a hundred million, like guarantee I'm going to have my hands in a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be just one, which is still considered multiple streams of income. That should be the norm, you know, and not looking at, oh my gosh, do you still work your corporate job or your nine to five? And it's not a bad thing. Like, yeah, I do. And I also have a daughter to feed and that is what is currently funding my business. So I just don't like the fact that people look at it as like a bad thing. And like you said, as an entrepreneur, we know that that's what it takes. So it's just the mindset, I think. Yeah. And a reality check too. Exactly. A little side note. I don't know if you know who Nicole Roberts-Jones is. She's a success coach. She helps women, especially women entrepreneurs. I went to one of her workshops. I was already freelance, but everyone else in the room, she said, the first thing I'm going to tell you is do not quit your job. I don't care what anybody tells you, do not quit your job. And I thought that if I had known that years ago, maybe I wouldn't have quit my job, but I got laid off. So. <laughs> laid off is a different thing. You have to still trust, you know, the timing. And sometimes that layoff is a part of that transition. And I do believe that there is, you know, a point of hope, maybe holding on for too long. But at the end of the day, you do need that freedom to kind of dedicate. But it takes, you know, courage and it takes confidence, especially someone like me who's a mom. I'm a single mom now. You know, I have to 
make sure that my daughter and I are secure. Of course. This is real life for me. This is not a game. Exactly. So that transition, that pivot is going to be strong, especially, like I said, we are accustomed to living a certain lifestyle. So I can't go from the life we're living now to eating oodles and noodles out of a can. No offense to anyone who does that, but that's just not how I live my life. And you know, I just feel like if God gives you these gifts and you're doing your work, it should be full of abundance. It should be no lack and no struggle. And so that's also a mindset that will propel you forward within your business and also within your personal growth. Working in marketing and in the software.com area, there are advantages to actually being in that industry when you start out as an entrepreneur. What kind of skills that you use in your other career, have you been able to apply to your business? Wow, so many. But I think the main skill that I've learned is that it's actually a skill and that I'm good at it and that I actually love doing it. And actually, before I started Meraki, fun fact, I was thinking about starting a marketing company, you know, learning the ins and outs, but just also having a passion for being creative when it comes to um, branding and also just kind of understanding algorithms. Like my brain loves all of it. It's just weird. I'm like, why am I like this? But it just is, you know, like I love it. I'm sure eventually I'll probably even get into software, you know, just creating things and I also love to help entrepreneurs and being in that boom of the internet and having where you can have your business found on Google and kind of learning analytics. Like that's another passion of mine, which again, go back to Meraki, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I know some people hate it, but I oddly love it. And even if they hate it, they need to learn it. There are things as an entrepreneur that you have to understand that are part and parcel of the work, even if you don't like them, like selling, marketing your business and being the mouth of your business and the face of your business is your job, like it or not. And learning analytics is only to your benefit. So all of these skills that you have, that you have honed over the years are things that people hunger for. So you're fortunate to have them. Thank you. Also my sales skills, which I oddly love that as well. And I've learned that that in itself is a natural skill. I remember when I first moved to Atlanta, I was applying for a job for customer service at a telecom company. You know, I'm in my early 20s and they said, you know, we don't have any customer service, but we have any sales. And I was like, okay, I'll take it. And from then, I was taught how to sell and then kind of learning that sales is a skill. It really is just being you. And if you have that type of personality, you just bring yourself to the table. And I've had a lot of success with that as well. Great. Let's talk about entrepreneurship for a minute. Is this something you thought about as a child or did it come to you as an adult? I would say that as a child, I was busy being a child. You know, I love being a child. I wasn't thinking about how I'm going to make money or any of that. But what I can say is that looking back, the skills that I have, I would make Barbie clothes out of my socks and sew them up and sell them to my friends. Um, I would sell things door to door and sell things to my family. Like I was always very resourceful. 
and being able to turn those resources into money, I think came later, maybe like in my teenage years. But my dad was an entrepreneur, so I was able to kind of see him build and run his business. So I think that it was probably just like in me, but I wouldn't say I thought about it. Right. You talked about being in esthetician school and you wanted to do skincare line. How did you decide to launch Meraki? It just kind of goes back to when I was pregnant with my daughter and having that shift in consciousness. At that point, I stopped putting any chemicals in my hair, started eating a clean diet, started really getting into meditation and reading a lot and using gemstones as a form of healing was a shift for me. When I was pregnant, I had very bad skin sensitivity. So after I had her, I ended up buying this product for the acne scarring on my face. And it ended up giving me second degree burns all over my face. Like I literally looked like a monster with like open sores on my face. And from that point, it was just kind of like a shift, like, wow, I really need to pay attention to what I'm putting on my skin, what I'm putting on my body, what I'm putting on my daughter. And so at that point, I just brought it down to really, really minimal things to use on my face and my skin. And then we came to hair. Funny, the first thing that they said when I had my daughter was, this baby's got a lot of hair. And then look at those dimples. So she's always had a lot of hair. So then I had to kind of play around with what's working for her hair. And so that kind of started the idea of just kind of making my own things and then selling them to friends and family. And then Meraki was birthed. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. So you talked about that you had started a practice where you incorporated gemstones into your meditation practice and some other things in your life. What made you incorporate them into the hairline? Well, it was kind of just really organic. The whole line was really organic. So I just kind of started with one product, which was an oil, my rose quartz glow oil. And, you know, I said I wanted to put gemstones in it. About a few months later, I knew it was time to start a second product. So I needed a name for the product. I'm like, oh, well, what if I just name them all after gemstones? And then just very organically, I'm like, well, why don't I just put gemstones in all of the products? And then from that point, I started to research the connection with gemstones in our hair and our crown chakra and the fact that um, our hair is an extension of our nervous system. And it just really blew me away and really made it more purposeful for me. And the rest is history. Wow. Now, it's not that you just researched gems. You researched a lot of natural and fair trade ingredients for your products. Why did this matter to you? And how did you do that? So I am just like an avid researcher. I mean, I will research anything and everything till my eyes just can't open anymore at night because I love to learn and I love to teach myself things. So it was really important after researching, learning that products that are marketed to women specifically women of color, have more toxins in our products compared to other nationalities. That was just very disturbing to me. 
It really interacts with our endocrine system, which then affects our hormones. And, you know, you see things like early puberty in our girls and uh, cystic fibroids. I couldn't believe it. Like it literally just blew me away to the point where it was not only a hair care line, but I'm like, this has to change. I just couldn't believe that is what was happening. I never knew. And so it was really important to me to have clean ingredients as the core of my line, just to have something that was safe and also in turn having a highly effective line because it has to work. My daughter and I, we have a lot of hair. It can't just be a cute line with botanicals. Like it has to be highly effective. So I really took the time to just kind of research different ingredients from other places. And I was really drawn to the Ayurvedic culture. And the things that they use that are healing, like for an example, amla oil, which is one of their master healers and just really bringing something that is healing and nourishing to the market. This sounds really fascinating. I mean, if you're going to go deep, you're going to have to really be a researcher in order to find those things. Who are the products formulated for? Can anyone use the products? Are they based on specific hair types or is this more of a psychographic customer? So for me, I wouldn't necessarily say psychographic. What I would say is that my products are for all hair types. The core of my products is to insert nutrients and vitamins into your hair and also hydration, which all of those things are the core to any hairstyle. So I would like to just focus on hair care. And so they're very versatile. I've gotten a lot of great feedback from all nationalities. And I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't putting myself in a box in terms of like inclusion. Like I know what it feels to be left out. I know what it feels to see a product and knowing that no one that looks like me is on the bottom. So I just wanted to make it accessible to everyone, being that my products also have a spiritual element to it. I really needed to elevate that to leave it open to whoever's drawn to the product. And that is exactly what's been happening. So even for me, I always knew that it's always a marketing thing. I've been in marketing. I've also used products like Fakai when I was in high school that, again, no one looked like me on the bottle, but I know a great product when I see one. Got sophisticated taste. Fakai in high school is sophisticated. I know. (laughs) (laughs) How many SKUs are in the Meraki line now? We currently have five SKUs and I'm scheduled to launch two more products this year. Do you make the products yourself or did you get a manufacturing partner or a chemist involved? How did you get from concept to actually producing the product? Sure. So concept was all me kind of having that vision I talk about all the time, but I do have a few chemists on my team that have worked with me to formulate the products. And from there up until today, I've been making them in my kitchen. I love this manufacturing question because I just had this question on a podcast about six months ago. And not surprisingly, I'm still in that process. So (laughs) it is a very challenging process, but it's one that has to happen. As I am in the process of scaling, thank God my business is doing very well. So what has to happen is my products have to be reformulated using commercial ingredients 
so that they can be made at a warehouse. And so making sure that everything is standard and kind of going back and forth with each product. And then one of my chemists just had a baby. So she was out for like a month. My mom passed away. So I was out for like a month. It's like this whole process, but everything is kind of coming along. It's better to take your time with it because you don't want to choose a manufacturer that ends up not being the right fit. So in some ways, the slowdown could be purposeful. And I think for me, it was, although because my business was growing at such a rapid pace, I have been fortunate to already have purchase orders. Like that was the whole point that kind of drove me to manufacturing. I'm like, well, I can't produce all of those in my kitchen. I have to start. And so I was having a hard time finding a fit. And towards the end, then I received another purchase order and then my products were selling out. And it was important to me to have a manufacturer here in Atlanta. Um, This is my baby. I need to know what's going on. I need to know these people. I need to pop up if I need to. So (laughs) just like your kid at grade 10 or something like that. (laughs) Exactly. Talk about divine timing, like right at the final hour, because I found one, but I really wasn't secure. You know, it was a few things that I did not like, but at the final end, I'm like, let me just try one more time. And I literally called about a hundred places and went to go visit almost half of them. And finally found something that I was in love with. And I'm really big on energy. Like as soon as I walked in, I just literally felt like a weight lifted off my shoulder. And I've heard that it's like a marriage and it really is. I mean, my business are my products. So I have to make sure that they're in great hands. And not only that, you know, that there is no limit to how I can scale. So not saying, oh, I can take you here up to 20,000 units. But if you go up to 500,000, you have to go somewhere else. Like that was really important to me. Again, we talk about those boxes and those glass ceilings. Like I need just as much space and room to grow as virtually possible. And so they're able to supply that. The guy is great. He's had the facility since 1980. And that's important to me. I want people who are also in their passion and they're not just getting up and going through the motions. And then also energetically, because my products are energetically infused, I just have to be aware of those things. Like, you know, what type of environment is this? And so, yes, We have found a manufacturer and um, are scheduled for production in June. So I'm really, really close. And I can't wait because my apartment looks like a warehouse and I'm so ready for this next step. And I'm launching in a few places. And so it was like necessary. It wasn't like, oh, I think I want to just, you know, make more product. It's like, no, you don't want this opportunity to pass. Like you have to strategically make sure that everything is in alignment. That's fantastic. Congratulations on that. Was it hard to source gemstones as you scale? It's one thing to make stuff at home. So as you're scaling, you're sourcing commercial ingredients, but then you got to also source a whole lot of gemstones as well. As far as the gemstones are concerned, I kind of knew that the long term was to scale. So the people that I get the gemstones with now are able to supply my needs in terms of the stones. So I haven't had any issues at all with that part of it. Then just making sure that the gemstones are ethically sourced. How has COVID-19 and also the social justice movement impacted the way you're doing business? Wow. (laughs) Well, I literally just did a rebrand for my business in April, right when everything shut down, thank God, because I feel like in terms of media, my products were now structured and aesthetically ready for that shift. 
with social justice. My business has been highlighted in about over 40 publications. 20 of those are geared to Black-owned businesses, which I'm so thankful for. People definitely have rallied around that and wanted to support my business being Black-owned. As far as COVID is concerned, it really gave us kind of like the opportunity to slow down. And for me, I made a lot of great connections just online, which I probably wouldn't have been able to make those connections had everyone not been in a state where they couldn't even move. So I've done a lot of like virtual events. I've also learned the importance of pivot in terms of marketing, in terms of sourcing ingredients. You know, it's really hard in the beginning. The hand sanitizer boom. I mean, all of the packaging was going to hand sanitizers and it was really hard to just kind of find packaging because people were making millions of bottles of hand sanitizer. So that was a big one. But like I said, my business is a COVID baby and I'm thankful for that. And, you know, it really is amazing how something that seems so detrimental to the whole collective can be something so uplifting. But to me, it's just a testament of my brand and what I stand for, really being in line with that self-love. And also hair care, shampoo specifically, is a necessity. You know, you have to wash your hair. So that has also really helped. Oh, that's fantastic. And I love that your brand got spotlighted in so many outlets so that the word about it continues to spread. And that you made the distinction earlier that you're Black founded, but not just for Black people. Yes, that was very important for me. Like I said, I do not like to be put into a box. And I know what it's like to not be included. So why not include everyone? And that was the basis of my line even before the social justice. But even now it's like, wow, I really feel like I am connecting women through hair care. Like I said, I have salons in Australia. I have people internationally, Germany, Canada. It really is connecting all of us. And to me, it's more on a soul level. Like it is about the products, but it's about so much more about womanhood and about making sure women are safe in terms of ingredients. Like, why should we have to worry about that? It's our hair. And most of these brands were founded by men. What do you know about our hair? I mean, clearly you don't know a lot because you're putting chemicals that can possibly kill us in our products randomly. And I'm happy to announce that I just won a Women's Health Best Beauty Award for my conditioner. Fantastic. Thank you. They're announcing that on Tuesday. And so to me, that's kind of huge because it's kind of like full circle on why I'm here and what my brand stands for. Well, congratulations on this win. You know, winning a beauty award is nothing to sneeze at. It is very significant for brands because as a former beauty director, you are inundated with product and you're trying everything and things that stand out really do stand out. We are like human testers, but we do recognize a great product when we see it. And so yours is obviously a great product. That's why it won. Thank you so much. So you talked about adding a couple of more SKUs to the line, but what do you see for Meraki in the future? What are your goals? The goal is expansion right now, making sure that I'm able to expand my reach globally. Like I said, I do already have salons in Australia, but I want to make sure I've been contacted by people in Africa, contacted by people in China. I really want to be in the position to where I can grow Meraki as a global 
household name, you know, put my stamp on the industry. And then in turn, also being able to expand into skincare and have a men's line and also have a reach for babies and children. And so really kind of making that pivot for the brand and having a space in the industry to where I'm known in the market for great products and clean beauty and bringing things that are innovative and progressive. I think it's a great one. And I can see you doing it. What do you think the unsung skill is to be an entrepreneur like yourself? Tenacity. I talk about it all the time. You're going to get knocked down. You have to learn to get back up. There's a lot of ups and downs, but you have to learn how to thrive from the things that you lost or the things that weren't so great in life and then in business, that whole balance. And I think that that's what it takes because it's just not a walk in the park. Again, another one would be like holding that vision of what the brand is. Even from the very beginning, I've always had a vision and I've kind of always stuck to that vision no matter what. Even when I had one product, I knew where I wanted to be. I knew my place in the market. And even to this day, it's still the same vision. The vision has gotten bigger as I've grown, but that vision is the same. That's very, very clear. And for people who want to be entrepreneurs, hearing these stories and understanding that most people don't come to the market with a full-fledged line. They come with one product to see, and they grow from there. And it's baby steps. All of it is baby steps. So- being tenacious is necessary to survive. I agree. Not just in business. I think that, you know, in life, life will throw those curveballs. It happens in business, but you learn it from other areas of life. So it doesn't just show up. So when it hits with the business, you're like, okay, well, I can handle this. You know, it's that strength. It's those tests that you have taken and then in turn made them into learning lessons and stepping stones. Let's move on to our fast track questions. What is the first beauty product you ever purchased? I would have to say it was lip gloss, if I can remember well. They had those fruit flavors. I don't even know what it was. They don't make them anymore, but it would have like the fruit on the top of them. And, you know, I had all the colors and flavors. And you had a caboodle. Let's not forget that. The caboodle is very important. (laughs) Yes, I love my caboodle. My daughter has caboodles now. I'm like, girl, I know about caboodles. (laughs) (laughs) What is the most recent product you tried? This clean deodorant by Agent Nature. And so I've been wanting to try it for a while and I'm actually really enjoying it. What is the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? Living by the idea that I am perfectly made helps me. Just seeing my beauty and seeing the beauty in everyone, like God did not make mistakes. You know, just claiming my beauty because God made me perfect, I think is very important. You know, and that's also what I teach my daughter. Like we're all beautiful in our own sense and our own rights. What is the gemstone you love the most and why? My favorite is amethyst. It also happens to be my birthstone. And so I love it because it's so multifaceted in terms of cleansing, in terms of healing. It's also beautiful. It comes in so many different hues. And when I first started getting into gemstones, I was really kind of drawn to it. 
and it's the same ever since. I have like so many of them. Here's a throwback. What's the beauty trend you tried when you were young that makes you laugh now? I grew up in the era of like TLC and crisscross. And so I wore a whole lot of baggy clothes, but I also wore my pants backwards like crisscross. I remember going to a crisscross contest, like making sure that I was dressed like them with my hat to the back and my pants backwards. And so that was pretty crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Who was your beauty icon growing up and who deserves that status now? My mom and my aunt and Oprah were my beauty icons. I believe that beauty to me is strength and I see the strength in all of them and seeing their growth. And I'm so thankful to have strong women around me. And I've always remember my aunt watching Oprah on TV. And I never noticed until like now that I've actually seen her evolve from her TV show to now, you know, being one of the richest women in the world. And I believe that my icon is someone who was of the same hue as me and someone who has strength. And my icon now that just remains the same, my mom, my aunt, Oprah, and then also my daughter and my nieces. I actually have 11 nieces. And so just watching them grow and evolve and turning into these little women. I mean, it is the most beautiful thing. And so they keep me young. (laughs) Wow. 11 nieces. I mean, I love it so much. I mean, I can literally just like stare at them. Like they fill me up. I mean, they're so beautiful in their own right. And everyone has their own style. And it's just amazing. That is a beautiful thing. Thank you so much. Final question. If someone wanted to follow in your footsteps, what advice would you give them? Just be fearless in your pursuit. There's a lot of factors that could possibly be against you as a woman, as a Black woman, um, but you have to be fearless in your pursuit and literally just believing in the core of your whole being that there's nothing that you cannot accomplish. And trusting God, trusting your path, And just trusting your time in life. Because I think that a lot of people want things now, now, now. But there's beauty in that process. And if you miss part of the process, then you're missing what your goal is in divine timing. Ooh, that's a word right there. That timing is everything. And, you know, we always say that and it sounds like a throwaway line. But really, the point that you made about If you miss part of the development because you're in a rush, you're not going to be prepared when you get there. I can't thank you enough for that closing word. I love that I get gems from every guest that stay with me. And that is going to stay with me. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's such a pleasure being here. And I love talking. I love this part, meeting and talking and just really getting to the core of what my brand is. And hopefully, like you said, people can get those gems. Like it's important to speak up. It's important to talk. A lot of people can get messages from your journey. So you got to speak up. Yeah. So Amber, I can't thank you enough for being with me. I'm wishing you just all the best with the growth of Meraki. I know it's going to be fantastic. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here. 